0: Once upon a time, there was a little boy called Howard, who loved writing stories.
1: Little Howard dreamed of being a writer, and so he sat and to, to every night, but everything he wrote was fucking shite, yeah. Woman ba 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 do Woman ba No ba what's writer in the world? What's writer in Ruckus, rubbish writer.
0: Yeah. Welcome to the worst writer in the world, a show mostly about gremlins. <laughs> because we decided that, you know, three episodes on one film from the 80s wasn't enough. We can get at least one, maybe ten more in. Yep. By reading the Gremlins novelization. <laughs> so I did that. I bought the um, the novelization of Gremlins. And I read it, and now I'd like to share some extracts with you, Howard, and anyone else who happens to be listening too. Yeah. So before we start, I'd like to say thank you to the British Comedy Guide for hosting this show, thanks to all of our lovely patrons on Patreon for supporting this show, thanks to you for listening to this show, and mm-hmm. one more thank you this week, I would like to say a particular thank you to Yaroslav Raniak, who gave me the idea for this show. Wow. Because he posted on our secret gang group that he was reading the novelization of Gremlins 2... And he posted some interesting extracts from it. And I just went, oh, yeah, novelisations. What an idea. Mm. And just, I'd, like, forgot forgot they existed. It just hadn't occurred to me. And then, so he kind of reminded me of their existence. And that's what led me to get online, buy a copy and read the hell out of it, which I have done.
1: Brilliant. Are you
0: ready to do some reading then, Howard?
1: Yes, Please. (laughs)
0: Maybe the longest bit I'm going to read is the first chapter, which I'm probably going to read most or all of. Wow. Because the first chapter is perhaps the most amazing part of this book. It starts incredibly strongly. Uh, now, this book was written by George Guype, who had never seen the movie when, uh, when he wrote yeah. this book and had only seen the script. And obviously the script contained all the things that got deleted later. Yeah. But also the most wonderful thing he did was he decided to fill in a few plot holes. <laughs> of which we may have discussed there are many. And he obviously he decided like he made it his mission to fill those plot holes.
1: Did he fill them by shoving Phoebe Case's dad up them? <laughs> No, no, he, okay. he decided to
0: try and do it in a, a way that made sense. OK. And I'd say sometimes he succeeded. Like, some of the details in this book just make so much more Just little changes make it make more sense. Wow. Other times he, like, didn't succeed so well. Mm. And sometimes he just went for it and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. For example, chapter one, <laughs> in which George Gleip decided... Like a bunch of ma- like weird creatures that come from somewhere. No, I want to know where they come from. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh my god. Exactly. I want some details on where they come from, and I am going to start this book from the point of view of the Mogwai. All <laughs> 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 right. Such a good idea. So much you do not get in the movie. Wow. All right. So chapter one. In his cage, tucked in a far corner of the Chinese man's back room, the Mogwai dozed fitfully. Mm. Soon, the old man would come in, stroke him gently, speak briefly in that strange-sounding language, set him free to wander among the musty books and artefacts for a while, and then, best of all, feed him. Mm. (laughs) As a Mogwai, he was nearly always ready to eat Though he had learned to control his hunger. Mm. Such was the built in adaptability of the Mogwai. He was so adaptable that even though confined to the cage and small room, he felt no desire for freedom. (laughs) It's okay, everybody. It's okay. The house elves like being slaves. Mm -hmm. The the Mogwai enjoys being trapped in a very small cage. It's okay. Yeah, Yeah, so he he didn't desire for freedom. In fact, his mind was his escape mechanism, a perennially active entertainment center which he could use to visit any time or place what? at any time <laughs> at all. Yeah, but his I mean, his mind. Now, we can all do that. <laughs> <laughs> gonna... Don't make it sound like it's a
1: special thing.
0: <laughs> no, like, listen carefully. And also, the... mind... also,
1: he did use the sentence <laughs> escape. His mind was his escape from his terrible kind of incarceration yeah. <laughs> that he was, he was fine with.
0: He didn't need to actually escape because yeah. his mind yeah. did it like in his imagination. Could, it was he all He time
1: traveled to when he wasn't incarcerated <laughs> and was living a nice life in Drumlin. That's called remembering. <laughs> but what
0: it says next is his mind was not like the human mind. Oh. A perverse instrument which so often refused manipulation but played tricks. Or dealt its owner doses of duplicity. This is the human mind, by the way. Yeah, yeah. The, the I, Mogwai I, is just yeah. like it's just completely like putting down human rubbish minds, yeah. which don't don't you can't manipulate them, and they they deal you doses of duplicity. Mm. <laughs> they lie to you. They lie.
1: I feel like George Guype himself is putting words in this this Gromlin's mouth though, because <laughs> there's no way this Gromlin can know what's going on in a human it's mind. It's right? Mogwai. 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 <laughs> Gromlin, We're not doing
0: gromlin. Gromlins. You save that. Save that for the next episode when you have to rewrite the
1: whole book as Gromlins. <laughs> yeah, the Gromlin was in his box. Oh fucking hell! <laughs> fucking hell! The he liked it in there. This <laughs> shit. I better time travel in my head. Do some head time traveling. <laughs> head time travel.
0: <laughs> and he did do. <laughs> yeah. He was happy. Mm. Now he liked being in a cage. Mm. So um, the Mogwai's mind in sharp contrast, was a constant source of pleasure to him. Uh. Now here we go. Are you ready? Yeah. Mog Mogtormen. Mogtormen, this is a name. Mog like a proper noun. Mogtormen, the inventor of the Mogwai species. Wow. <laughs> I know, I know. This is on the first page, right? <laughs> when I read this, when I read that, I was like, I have made such a good decision. Buying <laughs> buying this book is perhaps the best thing I have done in my life so far. Mogtermen. Yeah. Mog-tumen, the um the the inventor, not you know, the, the not the father, not the creator, mm. the inventor, like their machines. Yes. Of the Mogwai species had seen to that. He'd made sure that they had uh, brillo brains centuries ago on another planet wow mogtor men had set out to produce a creature that was adaptable to any climate and condition one that could easily reproduce itself yes. was gentle and highly intelligent exactly why Mogturmen men embarked on this venture is not known except that such inventors flourished during an era of widespread experimentation in the field of species creation.
1: Mm. An,
0: An era, it should be added, that passed into disrepute following later... Unsuccessful attempts to introduce cross pollination among certain species of crawling carnivores. There's so so much very vague general information. (laughs) It's like, just, okay, so he invented mogwai. Now move on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Don't need to know about cross pollination of crawling carnivores. That's okay. Okay. Does it explain why he made them not be able to eat chicken after midnight? Is that? Um, Well, let's see. A plot hole he decided to fill? At first.
0: Mogterman's experiment had been looked upon as a great success, and he was hailed
1: as the genetic hero of three Wait, galaxies. Wait, Mog-Tur-Men is not a load of men, then? It's just one person called Mogthermen. It's one. It's a single name, Mogtermen. Why? But does it have some kind of accent over one of the letters? Because you keep saying it in a weird accent when you get. You go Mogthermen. What do you keep saying?
0: I can't. Mog-ter-men. I keep saying it differently because I can't decide how to say it. Mog. How would you say it? Mogtormen, Mogtormen, Mogtormen. Yeah,
1: i from Cove, I'll just say Mogtormen. Mogtormen, Mogtormen. Oh, yeah, I'm my name's Mogtormen. I'm, I'm from fucking mug-tour space. <laughs> fuck, do you want to see my mug? Do you want to see my mug, why? Don't give him any fucking chicken, no. Huh?
0: Alright, so how would you like me to say it? I can say Mogtormen. no, no I, I, I like the way you say it. Mogtormen. Mogtormen. men Mogtormen. Mogtormen. Okay, at first, <laughs> Mokhtormen's experiment had been looked on as a great success, and he was hailed as the genetic hero of yeah. three galaxies. And I like that sentence because it reminds me of The Firm, I think. it's. It definitely sounds like a yeah, Howard yeah. Long sentence. The four planets, Pretoria, Kakar ah. Jafar, and Pretoria Sava, were populated by the rich, famous, infamous, and super trendies. Yeah. That's trendies who can fly, yes. shoot lasers <laughs> out of their <laughs> eyes. The firm's main headquarters were based on Jafar in Hyjundi City, <laughs> and consequently manned by the best dressed federal agents in history.
1: Wow, I mean, this has really just turned into like one of those really bad science fiction books you pick up and put down after ten seconds. Yeah. Why are they throwing yeah, these stupid made-up made made names? Made. It was brilliant there. <laughs> there uh, were some brilliant people there. In the capital city of Flubaluba, <laughs> um, the Spongdungle Tower stands.
0: <laughs> the first sets of Mogwai turned out as planned, although the gentle little beasts had a few drawbacks not foreseen mm. by their creator. Their vast intelligence seemed to interfere with their ability to communicate. So they're super intelligent, but they go. <laughs> right? So like they're, they're really clever though, but they
1: don't. Communicate, I suffer love. from the same thing. Uh, like my <laughs> incredible intelligence prevents me from putting together sentences that make sense. Yeah, and it, sometimes it
0: sounds yeah, like you're a bit yeah. thick, right? But, but that's because of your massive, mm. massive brain. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so their vast intelligence Seemed to interfere with their ability to communicate Uh, (laughs) Mogtormen said It was because they thought so much faster Than they could verbalise There you go, there's your excuse for the future The reason I sound a bit thick sometimes Is because my brain's going so fast And my mouth doesn't work that fast So I get get stumble over my words Because my brain's going so fast And for some unaccountable reason They were repelled by light Discounting these deficiencies, the galactic powers ordered the Mogwai sent to every inhabitable planet in the universe. Jesus. Their purpose being to inspire alien beings with their peaceful spirit and intelligence and to instruct them in the ways of living without violence and possible extinction. So they're little, fluffy, cute peace envoys made by (laughs) Mogturmen and sent to every inhabited planet in the three galaxies. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, with one very unfortunate flaw. (laughs) But
0: this is is where we're at so far. We don't know anything about flaws yet. This is a beautiful, uh, wonderful idea that they've got. So among the planets selected for early Mogwai population were Kelm 6, in the Paristy Range, Climp... <laughs> Climp A. Thank you. Yes, thank A you. of the Beehive Bollocks. Of the Five Bollocks, yeah, beautiful. And the third satellite of Minor Sun 67672, a small but fertile body called Earth by its inhabitants. Mm-hmm. Soon after these first departures, it was discovered that Mogtermen's creatures were highly unstable. (laughs) Oh, no. To be exact, fewer than one in a thousand retained the sweet disposition and charitable aims built into it by the inventor. Instead, something went wrong, very wrong. The Mogwai himself, this is the Mogwai in the box, the Mogwai himself knew of the unstable Mogwai being well-versed in the historical background of his species so you'll notice what this writer has told us yeah. is there are actually two types of mogwai the peaceful ones that are like what did he say
1: mm-hmm.
0: one in a thousand of them are peaceful and the unpeaceful and this is mogwai and this explains right. why later on when when Gizmo has a load of babies they're immediately awful e- awful yeah <laughs> right he's setting it up for us so, um, he preferred not to think of the complications that had developed, but it was nearly impossible not to. It was, after all, part of his heritage. Closing his eyes as he relaxed in his cage awaiting his supper, he mused briefly on the wars, landslides and famines that had taken place on Kelm 6, <laughs> Klimph A and even... Even here on Earth, because yeah, yeah. of his creator's miscalculations and willingness to disseminate an untested creature. Small wonder Mogtormen had been punished by having his and then the, the sentence like this goes dot dot dot. Like this gets interrupted because the the Mogtormen was punished by having his We don't know. Cake and eating it. <laughs> the Mogwai pushed the thought from his mind. True Mogtormen had failed in the Overall, but he himself was one of the successes. The one in a thousand who still embodied all the good things put there by his high-minded inventor. Yet his existence, he knew, had no long-term benefits for society. Mm. Gentle as he was, he was a distinct threat to those around him. Just a few drops of water, a morsel of food at the wrong time, and dash, dash, dash. The Mogwai made a little guttural noise. <laughs> Unhappy with himself for allowing such unpleasant thoughts to enter his trained mind. Why was he even considering the possibility that he might bring about some disaster or other? The Chinese man seemed to understand the rules. Although the Mogwai was at a loss to explain how he knew them. (laughs) Other than by the fact that, and the book says... Orientals. Sorry mm. about that everybody. Mm. Other than the fact that Orientals seemed to understand the inexplicable almost without trying. Wow. Man. <laughs> Fuck's sake.
1: Yeah, I mean maybe maybe he told him because like we know for a well that the, um, the the old Chinese man has conversations with Mugwai and can understand what Mugwai says. So Mugwai could have <laughs> just said to him, Oh, by the way, don't feed me after <laughs> midnight, I'll turn into a lizard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but don't worry, I'll turn into a nice
0: one because I'm yeah, one of the good mogwai. But, but here, listen, don't get me wet and then feed what comes out of yes. me after midnight because yeah. they're a fucking nightmare. Yeah,
1: so this proves that he would become a really nice lizard if he ate a chicken leg after midnight, right? <laughs> yeah, lovely lizard. Mm. I mean, some lizards are
0: nice, Yeah, you know? Well, Not all lizards. of them are, are evil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, this this sentence that, the I mean, Orientals seem to understand the inexplicable almost without trying... If you want to know what Orientalism means, then this is it. The, the, like making something strange and mysterious and mm. othering. Anyway, he kept the room dark, water free and fed the Mogwai well before midnight. Few strangers were admitted. The Mogwai was never subjected to journeys such as those he had been forced to endure with his previous owners, among whom were a medieval peddler. And a 16th-century smuggler who sold stolen gems. Mm. So, don't know if you picked up on what that means, everybody. This is a, an old, old Mogwai, Mogwai, hundreds of years old.
1: And that peddler also um, somehow knew that you shouldn't feed him after midnight, or <laughs> give bright light him, or get water on him. No, I think
0: the implication is that they, the, those, those were bad. The journeys and stuff. There, we don't know what that. This, this. This old Chinese man is a good owner, but not, they not—they haven't all been.
1: No, they've not all been, but but he's not a lizard, is he? So, like, um, in, in, in all the thousands of years he's <laughs> lived <right>. on Earth, <laughs> since mogs mean, yeah. a man, like, put him there. He, no <laughs> no, no point, one's yeah. given him a chicken <laughs> egg after midnight.
0: <laughs> You're right, he's not a lizard. Good mm. point, yeah. <laughs> well spotted. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, no doubt about it, the Chinese man was the best caretaker of them all. But why, then, was the Mogwai filled with a sense of malaise at best, of impending doom at worst. Perhaps, he mused, it was because he had had it so easy for so long. Mm. Thinking back, he wondered if he had the strength to deal once again with a new outbreak of... them. <sighs> what do you mean, of them? He asked himself. That's the voice I'm using, because once you make... Um, the Mogwai intelligent? Mm. It is Nibbler from Futurama. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. What yeah. do you
0: mean, of them? he asked himself, suddenly realizing that they and he were virtually the same. Except that Mogtormen's miscalculations were built into them. And built into me as well, he thought, feeling guilty. I just happened to be one who escaped as he had done so many times in the past, he began to wonder what had happened to the others, how long they had survived, how much trouble they had caused. No, he thought, forcing his mind to erase the coalescing picture. That's not to think about. I will take a mental tour instead. A tour of the beautiful Catalesian fire streams. <laughs> He's going on a mental what tour. What is going on? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> Um... The Mogwai's are going on a little mental tour to avoid thinking about gremlins. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's what he's doing. He closed his eyes and his Mogwai mind, ever obedient, began to show him the vivid colours generated by the boiling rivers of the subplanet Catalesia. It was one of the Mogwai's favourite mental images, although when he felt a minor surge of aggression, he enjoyed watching mind battles between the armoured worms of Accursion.
1: No. <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 so fucking not. No. <laughs> That's what he
0: liked doing. Little like that little Mogwai sitting in his cage going, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm a bit irritated. Like the Chinese man gave me rubbish food earlier. I'm a bit in a bad mood. So I'm gonna think about work <laughs> killing <laughs> space worms. <laughs> I'm gonna think about killer space worms.
1: Did what was it? Did did George Guipe have JK Rowling's editor? Is that <clears throat> what's going on here? <clears throat> Nobody looked at it and said, what's all this, George? None of this is in the fucking movie. <laughs> Cut Chapter yeah, 1 start with chapter 2 with the old lady knocking the, bringing the snowman Eddie. Yeah.
0: Because novelizations were absolutely a cash grab, right? Mm. They were there because companies knew they could sell books based like on the back of a film. Mm. And I think George Guype went above and beyond, <laughs> right? Most most novelizations are going to be like, yeah, like they're going to be Terence Dix, right? Just like write some yeah. description and put the script in and write some description.
1: But he has he has really Gone further. He's... I mean, as, as, as Back to the Future arrived yet is the first chapter from the point of view of Einstein the dog and like <laughs> traveling being the first time traveler.
0: <laughs> so yeah, so he enjoyed watching mind battles between the armored worms of Occusian. His favourite earthly vision. He's
1: such a peaceful, is... peaceful mugwai, isn't he? What he likes to do is close his eyes and imagine worms murdering each other. <laughs> mind murdering.
0: Yeah. <laughs> His favourite earthly visions included the sun-darkening flights of the passenger pigeon, which he understood had ended a century before, and scenes from the San Francisco earthquake. He doesn't seem that peaceful to me. No, not at all. He was curled into a ball, thoroughly enjoying the mental spectacle of the Catalesian fire streams when the Chinese man entered a small plate held in his thin fingers. The frail gentleman with skin like old leather shuffled quietly to the side of the table and stood looking down into the cage at his furry friend. Hmm. Now remember, George Gleip had not seen the film, so this is not shade on the actor. (laughs) (laughs) None of the descriptions are the actors. On the plate was an assortment of oriental delicacies left over from Han Wu's restaurant next door, a partial egg roll, rice, broccoli, and twice-fried pork scraps. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. To all this, the Chinese man had added a small rubber washer he had found in his handy room closet. Don't feed Mugwai washers. Aware of his master's presence, his master... (laughs) Aware of his master's presence, the mogwai stirred Opened his eyes, then pounced to an expectant standing position As the food's aroma suddenly reached him Smiling benevolently, the Chinese man opened the box from the top And reached inside to gently lift the mogwai onto the table (laughs) He deposited him next to the plate and nodded You may enjoy yourself now, my friend, he said softly That's the Chinese man, by the way Mm. Patting the mogwai gently on the head and then taking a step backwards. The mogwai looked down at the plate. Sure enough, a foreign object was there again. Yesterday, it had been a piece of soft, chewy wood. The day before, a couple of foamy white chips he had seen the Chinese man take from a packing crate. Mm-hmm. Sniffing at the black rubber doughnut, the mogwai analysed it instantly and knew it would not hurt him if he ate it. He also knew it would be tasteless at best, perhaps bitter, virtually nutritionless and very hard to chew. But the Chinese man so enjoyed seeing him chew up non-edible substances that it seemed churlishly uncharitable to disappoint him. Getting the black object down would take only a minute. He could then enjoy the rest of his meal as dessert. So the Chinese man likes to watch him eat like bits of metal and stuff, right? And so the is like, alright, I suppose I suppose I'll I'll eat a bit of plank for you I'll eat a fucking plank if I get if I get some egg rolls afterwards. <laughs> so you know how Billy um, gets in his car and uh, it doesn't work, it doesn't start, so he has to walk the yard to his job. And he takes his dog with him, and we don't know why.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Guess what? George guype gave us a reason. Brilliant. It is not that he always takes his dog to work. He's having trouble. He's, like, walking to work, and his dog chases after him, and he's too late to go back when he sees his dog Brilliant. chasing him. So he's like, fuck, I'm going to have to take my dog to work with me because I, if I take him back, I'm going to be even later, and I'm already late, and I'm... And you know he's 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 already in big trouble. And when he gets there, he is in trouble about it. Mm. So I mean, that's a good, that's a really simple but good idea because it just fits in what's already happening. Yeah. And doesn't make you go. Why is he taking his dog to work? What's wrong with him? (laughs) Also, the other thing is to make it seem like a bit further to the bank rather than he could just run there. He doesn't just he doesn't just run to work. He gets a lift. Oh. With Mister Futterman in his snowplow, brilliant, bringing that character into the action, not just having him turn up to be racist, mm. but uh, like making him like it's more complicated because he's helping Billy and being racist.
1: Yes,
0: <laughs> right. That's a that's a better, uh, more, more kind of more conflict, isn't it? That's that's a yeah. good. He's in that he can't get out of that situation. He's stuck. He needs Mister Futterman's help. He's got to, but he's got to listen to him say right. That only American made things are good.
1: Yeah, and. um it's demonstrably s- untrue. Well, the dog just <laughs> chases after that snowplow, does it? I think
0: the he dog. might, well, I forget if he already has the dog. He might, I think maybe the dog does chase the snowplow and then he, like, pick, like takes it in with him. When the Mogwai is sold to uh, Dad Peltzer, he is terrified. Mm-hmm. Like, he is not. At all, like because you get from his point of view, he is really scared because he knows what happens when people don't follow the rules, and he's already set up as like yeah. he hates that. He doesn't want to be responsible for that. He also hates being called Gizmo. <laughs> Fucking hates it. <laughs> I'm like, really annoyed when Dad starts calling him Gizmo, um, and he's also he's upset to be taken from the old Chinese man, who by the way. In the whole book, never gets a name. Right? <laughs> <laughs> George Guy gave a lot of other details, but he didn't think mm, this character, who I'm going to mention quite a lot, needs an actual name. No, he's the old Chinese man. The old all Chinese the way through. man, yeah. And he's also upset that he doesn't get to say goodbye because he's like obviously he's like sold behind the old Chinese man's back. So Gizmo's really upset being taken away into danger. He knows what's going to happen. He know he knows everything that's going to happen because it always does. And he's really upset to be taken away from his friend, who is pretty good except for that whole making him eat bits of plastic. (laughs) But apart from that, he's great. And, yeah, uh, when the the Gremlin is taken... When the Mogwai is taken to the teacher and we don't really know what happened to the teacher, the Gremlin clearly and graphically murders the teacher (laughs) um, in the book. There's no question about that. Um, Then he tries to murder Billy... As well, it like really goes for it, but but Billy murders it with a fire extinguisher. Okay. So there's no question about where that one goes because we know it's dead under a fire extinguisher.
1: Oh, so he, like he beats it to death with a fire extinguisher. He doesn't
0: try and yeah. put it out. No, no, he doesn't try and put it out. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't
1: squirt it with water.
0: He's he's yeah. like, he's
1: a bit cleverer than that. But they can get you can get um fire as you know you can get fire extinguishers with different things in though. They're differently yeah. labeled different colours. There's obviously the ones with water yeah. in, there's the ones with food after midnight in, and then there's the ones with bright light. So which one are you gonna, <laughs> yeah. gonna to use on your mother? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, use that one, you're fine. Mm. Yeah, um also um
0: uh, Mr. Futterman is clearly killed as well. Like he absolutely dies. The Gremlins drive his snowplow into him. He dies. Brilliant. Mrs. Deagle, she's dead. Um, like she gets shot out of uh, on the stair, um, the stairlift, and everything. But it's like it says she's dead. And the last thing, the big, the other big difference is when Billy finds the dead teacher. The first thing he does is he calls his mum mm. uh, because mm. at this point the Gremlins are like they're still in the cocoons in his attic. And he tells her that they're killers, right? Brilliant. Before they hatch, so her reaction of just instantly murdering them, it, she's not the villain in this one. Like she absolutely is in the movie, and in fact, George Gleit makes it very clear that the Gremlins are the villains because we get to hear them speak because they speak to Gizmo, um, and we'll, we'll have some extracts of that definitely. But there's no doubt in this book. Who the bad guys are
1: Still hearsay though isn't it Your son phones up and says Oh they're they're evil and murderers You should kill them all She she could be like "Mm, (laughs) I give her a chance Yeah yeah,
0: you said that about the smiths next door When they stole your ball that time (laughs) (laughs) This is when Mr Futterman Is telling Billy about gremlins He's talking about why gremlins attacked Americans and not, I don't know, Japanese people. Mm-hmm. Don't know for sure, but I think it's because we, our side, had a better sense of humour. You know how human nature is. It's like, well, you, you only play tricks on people who will laugh, right? After a while, you don't play tricks on people who get all ruffled because it's no fun. That's why the gremlins took after us. Half the time, we'd end up laughing at what they do. The gremlins liked attacking us because we had a good sense of humour, and we always went, "Oh look, the gremlin destroyed my plane, and we and I died." <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. Yes.
1: Wow, some pure nonsense
0: there. Well done, George. Yeah. Billy says, did, "Like you actually did you actually see them?" And Futterman's like, "Well, you know, out of the corner of out of the corner of your eye, not mm. full on." Mm. And Billy says, "And um, Billy says, mm, sounds like you were making <laughs> them up, Mister Futterman." <laughs> Billy said candidly. Uh, yeah. No, no, they were there. Other guys saw them and would swear to it. Now, Jackson, he was my navigator. He used to see them outside the plane all the time, dancing in the slipstream of the wing. Mm. Or they chew little bits of rubber out of the de icing boot on the wing's leading edge. No, no that so makes it sound like ice. they enjoy
1: eating rubber. What?
0: <laughs> they like it they like eating rubber, it's fine. Sometimes they'd make sputtering noises in the pilot's ear so he'd think one of the engines was missing. <laughs> just in his ear. Let's just sit in behind his. Oh, uh, the engine must be missing. <laughs> but uh, hang on, do you think we should check? Oh, is that a bit, of a, a bit of a conclusion to leap to? They could even imitate our voices. Mm. Once they snuck up to our pilot and shouted, You're flying upside down, you fool! that was a really close one because the pilot turned us over in a split second you should have seen how the coffee cups and maps and people went sailing every which way now we've made it's made it very clear that gremlins cannot speak english mm-hmm. but now he's like but, of course, they could speak English yeah, perfectly yeah. and they could imitate our voices, so he couldn't even... They're so good at English, they could copy your voice. And then one of them said, you're flying upside down, and the pilot, who was fucking stupid, <laughs> oh, yeah. who didn't know how to read instruments mm. or feel things, he didn't know how to, like, sense gravity, mm. just turned the plane the other way round
1: and an all our coffee, coffee cups still. Because this was a commercial yeah. airplane, not a, yeah. a fighter jet or something. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, they're in the snowplough on the way to work and Futterman's just talking to Billy. Before the war was over, we'd learned to deal with all kinds of them. The strato-gremlins were the worst. Oh, God, no. No. <laughs> they used to... <laughs> they used to show up above 10,000 feet. Spanduli. spandoolies. No, no, <laughs> <Spandulis>. <laughs> no. no. Were the middle-aged gremlins Spandoolies were middle-aged gremlins And Fifenolas Oh, God I think Fifenolas were females
1: When he does this, when George Guy Gle- does this <laughs> I just feel like it's me as a 12-year-old <laughs> Yeah, it is, right It's so you as a 12-year-old He's really bad at naming things it's just... Yeah, just just making
0: noises and yeah. going yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah the there's Spandulis. a noise <laughs> Strato-gremlins Yeah <laughs> There were also jerps and bidgets. (laughs) There were also jerps and bidgets. Bidgets. Each kind was different. There was a song we used to sing. Fearing the worst, Billy looked away from Futterman, noting with mixed emotions that Barney was trotting behind them apparently determined to follow them no matter how far they travelled. So he hasn't stopped and picked up his dog yet. The dog's still following at this point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A moment later, the rasp of Futterman's snowplough engine blended with his off-key singing voice. Are you ready? Yes, please. (laughs) When you're a thousand miles from nowhere and there's (laughs) nothing below but the drink, it's then you'll see the gremlins... Green and gamboge and gold, (laughs) (laughs) gamboge, male and female and neuter, gremlins both young and old, white ones will wiggle your wingtips, male ones will muddle your maps, (laughs) green ones will guzzle your glycol, females will flutter your flaps. Okay. Yes. And there doesn't say. I was like, even when you read that, there's no logic to the rhythm like how you think this is going to be a song
1: well i think you have to do it to the theme tune of gremlins don't you does it fit to the theme tune of gremlins <laughs> <laughs> try it
0: uh, when you're a thousand miles from nowhere <laughs> and there's nothing below but the dream yes it's then you'll see the grem Linz, green and gumbo and gold <laughs> Male and female and neuter Grim, um, Linz, both young and old No <laughs> <laughs> The answer is no uh,
1: Yeah I think it was a success personally
0: <laughs> Well it might have been better than my first attempt, But that, uh, that doesn't make it a success Yeah Rand Peltzer, I'm going to use his real name because, you know, that's what the book does. It doesn't call him Dad Peltzer for some reason. Mm-hmm. Is in the in the shop. He's, l- he's in the old Chinese man's shop. He's looking for something good. Some mogwai, He goes in and says, Excuse me, sir. I followed a young man in here who told me there might be something truly different for me to see. The Chinese gentleman nodded slowly. My grandson, he said, in a surprisingly deep and resonant voice. <laughs> I think I'm doing that well. The expression accompanying the two-word reply was a mixture of fondness and scepticism, confirming Rand's earlier notion that the kid was a precocious con artist. Never one to be discouraged, Rand had already decided to make his pitch. Mm -hmm. Looking around at the curio shop, which was cluttered with the usual array of frightening oriental masks, ancient witchcraft tokens, rotting skulls and dusty books on the occult... Well done, George Gype, for uh, just laying out all your prejudices in <laughs> one paragraph. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, would you like to buy a rotting skull from our <laughs> rotting skull section? Yeah. Chinese shops famous for selling rotting skulls. George, have you ever been to a Chinese shop? No, no, but I'm pretty sure they sell rotting skulls there, don't they? Mm. No, of course not. Why would they sell rotting skulls? Who the would fuck buy is one? wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> So then, this is this next bit is when he first sees the Mogwai. Mm. Gently, almost reverentially, Rand lifted the burlap curtain. Wow, he said softly. He had never seen a creature like it before. What in the world is that? Rand asked. Mogwai, the old Chinese man replied. Mog. What? Oh yeah, yeah, Cy- a cyberloon. Uh... <laughs> It's what he calls himself. It took me a while to find out. I have no idea what it means. <laughs> Mogwai, Rand repeated, sounds like something from another planet.
1: <laughs> sounds
0: like the kind of alien name, like, yeah. like Chump 5, or whatever the fucking place was called. Yeah. Sounds like something from another planet. Too hard to remember and pronounce Oh, that word Mogwai I'll never remember that It's too hard My dad's called (laughs) Kanaka But I can never remember the name Mogwai Tell you what I'll have to come up with my own easier one As far as I'm concerned You're just plain gizmo So Billy's just arriving at the bank, Mm. so he bursts in, he looks around, and it says, only then did he see the object that he usually looked for when he first entered the bank. And guess what the object that he usually looks for when he first enters the bank is?
1: Is it a woman
0: called Phoebe? It is a woman called Phoebe, although here abbreviated to just Kate. Mm. Today she was dressed in blue, a form-fitting but conservative dress that complemented her flashing green eyes and dazzling dark hair.
1: Dazzling dark hair. Can dark hair be dazzling? Billy, like so many other young men, and older men too, for that matter, had fallen madly
0: and totally in love with Kate Beringer the first time he laid eyes on her. She was twenty a perhaps too intense woman of that age, a champion of the underdog. She had opinions and that wasn't good. She was maybe a bit too... She, a champion of the underdog. She liked to try and
1: help people. Yeah, what an
0: idiot! <laughs> like, it's just a bit intense, like the way she occasionally helped people.
1: Yeah, I know. I think I think the intensity he's talking about, actually, she's talking about how she like keeps ramming on about her dead dad. I think that <laughs> is the thing. She is a pretty intense yeah. person. It's like any see, opportunity, yeah. she's like, oh, by the way, did you tell me about the time uh, my dad didn't come home for Christmas? Because um, I was thinking,
0: because <laughs> I was thinking like, of. Phoebe Kate's performance, which is like the opposite of intense, she's quite <laughs> calm, right? So I was like that doesn't seem. But you're right. Well, if you're reading the script, it's like wow, she really soon tells him about her dead dad on the chimney, like, and in a really weird moment. Hmm. Uh, so she, yeah, she's she was twenty, a perhaps too intense woman of that age, a champion of the underdog. Considering himself an underdog, that suited Billy just fine, of course. But so far, he had found Kate pleasant but somewhat unapproachable. Right. That's her fault. (laughs) The fact he hasn't asked her out is her fault. He's starting to sound a bit of an incel, isn't he? Perhaps it was because she was so smart, never at a loss for words, that he feared being shot down by her should he move too quickly. And so he moved nearly imperceptibly. By the end of the century, he once said to himself... As he analysed his longing for her and what to do about it. By then, I'll have asked her for a date. But this is 1984, right? The end of the century is like 15 years away. It's not that long. <laughs> Get over yeah, yourself. I mean, o- obviously, that is a long time if you just want to ask someone out, but. Come on!
1: I think I, I sense that what's going to happen here is that she's going to get to to work at the bank one day and find a chupper chop on her desk. Oh, no. <laughs> oh Yeah, because he's
0: awkward, he doesn't know how to talk to people. Say so like, yeah. the only thing I, the only thing I can think of doing is sticking a lolly up my bum hole. <laughs> <laughs> and amazingly, she yeah. is the office bum smeller. <laughs> 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 so she reckons <laughs> instantly, she's like, <laughs> meet me upstairs in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of The Worst Writer in the World. We will be back next week with more from the Gremlins' novelisation with the second half of the book, Hooray. because there's lots more to read. If you can't wait a full week to hear our lovely voices, then why not go check out our secret gang on Patreon, where you could get an enormous amount of us. Just a, like a huge, imagine they're like an enormous cardboard cutout that reaches almost up to the moon, Okay. but made of audio.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Made of audio episodes. That's what you could get for as little as $2 a month. And if you join for $7, yeah. you can get one that goes to Mars. Wow. So that's patreon.com slash manbycow and hey, doesn't hurt to have a little luck does it and do it now because if you don't do it now you will forget look you're already forgetting it is already leaving your mind yeah okay pick now. up your phone get, get on it, yeah. your laptop whatever you usually use do get it, on there and have it, a look okay bye 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 milk
1: bye bye milk is a stupid rubbish right